Our reading this evening is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us learn this Advent as the hymn asks to welcome Jesus aright. O Lord, how shall I meet you and welcome you aright? Let's learn this Advent from Paul's letter to to the Thessalonians. Let us learn how to do just that. And it begins already at the start of this letter with Paul's thanksgiving. We ought always to give thanks. It's an obligation, it's a duty that we have as Christians to give thanks. We ought to give thanks. We are compelled to give thanks, not as an arm being twisted, not because we don't want to, but because we have so much to be thankful for. And what does Paul list? Among the Thessalonians, here is what he is thankful for. Your faith, which is growing abundantly. And the love of every one for another is increasing. Let us always give thanks for faith and for love. Let us never take for granted these gifts that we have. That you are here in this place. That the word of God is being preached among you. And that it is entering into your ears and into your hearts. That the promises of God are declared to you and you hold them fast. Do not take that for granted. It is not something you could work on your own. You couldn't muster up trust in your Heavenly Father on your own. But God has granted it to you to believe his promises, to hear his word and to hold it fast, and to increase in love. 
I think so often we feel our failure to love, our weakness in love, our shortcomings and our sin, and so we should. We should never think that we are perfected in love in this life, and yet see how much love God has given to you, how it is increasing all the time. Your love for one another, your love for your neighbor, see what a gift God has given to you. Think how cold and loveless life would be if it were not that God had sent his spirit into your hearts to warm them, to trust in him, and to increase in love. If he had not begun this good work in you, where would you be? How lost and in the darkness would you be? We ought always to give thanks. As Paul does for the Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks for this gift. Treasure it daily. When you rise in the morning, thank God, not just that he has given you life and breath, but that he has taught you to trust in him. When you lay down to go to sleep at night and you pray your evening prayers, thank God that he has shown you your sin, that he has forgiven every last one of them, and that he has called you to be his own. Thank God that he has given you faith and love. But it isn't just any kind of faith and love. Notice where this faith and love occurs among the Thessalonians. It occurs in the midst of persecution and affliction. That is to be expected. And that's why St. Paul says that it is the righteous judgment of God. It's a sign of God's righteous judgment. After all, what does Jesus say to his disciples? If they have persecuted me, Jesus says, they will certainly persecute you. No disciple is greater than his master. Blessed, in fact, are you when they persecute you, when they revile you and disdain you and utter all kinds of evil about you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, rejoice, for it is proof of the righteous judgment of God. Jesus said it would happen. The darkness hates the light. And so where the darkness revolts, it is where the light is shining. When the world chafes at your presence, when the world finds you to be an aroma of death unto death, rejoice. Because God's righteous judgment is being seen in your life. It is in this crucible of persecution. When people speak little of you, when they mistreat you, when they mock you, when they act as if you're strange or fanatical, when they try to get you to change your mind or to give up your faith or to despair and be hopeless in this life, when any of those things happens to you, know that it is in that crucible that your faith is tested and proven and tempered and made strong. And that's why you can do just what St. James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because then the tested genuineness of your faith is shown and the righteous judgment of God is seen. He said, this would happen to you. In fact, Jesus says, beware when all men speak well of you, when everything goes smoothly for you, when you don't experience afflictions and persecutions, then beware, because then perhaps the light is not shining. You don't need to go looking for persecution. You don't need to seek out afflictions. It comes simply by being a Christian. But when it comes, rejoice. Because then God's word has proven true. You've been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. 
It's this amazing moment in the book of Acts when the disciples are in Jerusalem and they are told again and again to stop talking about Jesus and they're thrown in jail and they're stoned and they're left for dead and they come back and they're gathered together and they rejoice that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Let us also rejoice. In season and out of season, when it is popular and unpopular to be a Christian, let us rejoice when times are good and times are bad, when we feel strong and when we feel weak, when the world surrounds us with hope or with despair, let us rejoice. Because we are the children of God. And he is the one who has given us faith and he is the one who sustains it and he is the one who keeps every word that he has spoken to us. Rejoice in this righteous judgment of God. There are two ways that you can miss the mark in the face of persecution, in the face of God's righteous judgment. And you can imagine them, I think, as Paul goes on to describe what is coming. He says, for you who have been afflicted, relief is on the way. When you suffer persecution for the faith, when the darkness crowds in around you, relief is coming. But that relief comes in the form of fire prepared for those who afflict you. It comes in the form of fire, and that's a dreadful thing. One of the ways that we can make a mistake as Christians is to think that that fire is for us. To fear for our own sakes that God's judgment will be against us, that his wrath will be poured out on us, that God will sweep away the faithful along with the wicked. It will not be so. God has promised When his fire comes, it is not for you. Abraham was confident of that. Remember the story of Abraham with the three visitors. They come out of the blue. It turns out it is God himself. They come out of the blue to tell Abraham that his wife, Sarah, even at 90 years old, is going to have a child. And remember how she stands in the doorway and laughs. And they say, Sarah, we heard you laughing. And she says, no, I I wasn't laughing about that. What would be so ridiculous about me having a baby at 90 years old? Those three visitors come to Abraham and they announce that he's going to have a child, even in his old age. And then they're on their way on a journey to visit the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because a great outcry has gone up to heaven about the wickedness of those cities. And those three visitors, they say to themselves, should we tell Abraham what we're going to do since he's God's man? And the Lord intends to spread his kingdom through his family. Should we tell Abraham what we're going to do? Well, those three men go off to see the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham stands in the presence of God, and he pleads with God. Not in despair, not hopelessly, but in the full and firm conviction that God will save the righteous. Lord, if there are 50 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, will you destroy them? It wouldn't be like you, God, to wipe away the righteous with the wicked. What if there are 45 righteous people in that city. Will you destroy the cities then? And the Lord says, no, not for the sake of 45. I won't destroy them. Lord, let me ask you again, Abraham says, what if there are 40 righteous? What if there are 30, 20? What if there are only 10 righteous in that city? Will you destroy it? And the Lord says, no. It wouldn't be just, would it? It wouldn't be a righteous judgment for me to destroy the righteous with the wicked. If there are 10 righteous people there in that city, I won't destroy it. Abraham knew that for those who trust in God, God is safe. 
For those who trust in God, the fire that comes out from the throne of God to consume the wicked, it is not for the righteous. It will not hurt them. It will not touch them. St. Peter tells us that if God could save Noah in the midst of the flood, and if God could rescue Lot out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, then how much more can he rescue us? In the face of every trial and persecution, and certainly in the face of his own judgment, the fire is not for us. But you can also miss the mark in view of God's judgment, not by fearing his judgment, but by being a little bit too friendly with the world, by being concerned about the fire that is coming on the world. You know how the story went for Lot. Those visitors went to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there they stayed in Lot's house that night, and the men of the city were pounding on the door, trying to do abominable, detestable things, and Lot wouldn't have it, and the angels spared Lot, and they said to Lot, get out of the city, gather up all of your people, your daughters and your wife and your sons-in-law, gather them all together and flee the city. And Lot went to his sons-in-law and he said, it's time to go, we've got to go now. And they thought he was just joking. And when the angels said, the time is now, we have to leave now, even then Lot hesitated And they had to drag him out of the city by his arm. After all, wouldn't it be hard to leave your home? This place that he loved, wouldn't it be hard to leave behind those sons-in-law? Sure, those detestable, wicked men, yeah, they have another thing coming. Let the Lord deal with them. But what about the people who are close to me? The people who I love? The people even in my own home? How can I let them suffer this wicked disaster that is coming upon them? It was hard for Lot because he struggled to believe in the righteous judgment of God. That when the fire falls on the wicked, it is for our good. That when the Lord God cleanses the earth, when he purges the wicked from among us, it is for our good. It is hard for us to rejoice in that. It is hard for us to see the goodness of that. But the Lord says it is good. On the last day, we will certainly see it. We will see how even as the flood washed away all of the wickedness in the world, the Lord was preserving Noah. We will see how as the heavens and the earth are destroyed and a new heavens and a new earth are created, we will see how the Lord is preserving us, how he's saving us from wickedness. Let us not despair in view of God's fire, the fire that will fall from heaven. Instead, let us hear what God says. This is God in Psalm 50 talking about his righteous judgment. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. His fire comes to save. Let us not be friends with the world. St. James tells us that if you are friends with the world, you are at enmity with God. Let us not be friends with the world. Let us not hold on to the things of this world, this life, this place, the things that are passing away, sinful, wicked things, or sinful, wicked people. Let us not hold on to them, but instead cling to Jesus who is our hope and our salvation. That's Paul's hope for the Thessalonians, that they would rejoice 
in what is coming. It's hard for us to rejoice. It's hard because sin still clings to our flesh, and that's why Paul says that he will pray for the Thessalonians. I will pray. In fact, I must always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of this calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To this end, I pray for you that you would welcome Jesus aright with gratitude for the faith and love that he has given to you, with steadfastness in the face of persecution, and with joy at the righteous judgment that he brings on the world for your sake. It's all for your sake. Because you are his beloved. He wants to save you from death and destruction. He wants to give you eternal life in his kingdom. Rejoice and be glad that this Advent, once again, your king comes to you. He comes to you with healing in his wings, ready to make you alive in him forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.